The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Good afternoon, hello, and welcome. It's PFTPM on a Thursday, March the 3rd. Already March the 3rd. Somebody's birthday's in March. I can't remember whose birthday it is. And I think it's coming up pretty soon. It's in the single digits. I just can't remember which day it is. Is it the 8th or the 7th? The 6th, so Sunday. And we will not be the same age for three months starting Sunday. I get my three months to say that you are indeed older than me and I will enjoy every minute. My brother-in-law is three weeks younger than me, and I get that every year between June 8 and June 27 that I am older than him. So uh, he doesn't get to enjoy it as long as I do. So I'll probably forget by March 10th because that's just one of the realities of being older. But uh, if I don't forget, I'll, I'll make sure that I mention it a time or two. Anyway. We've got some time today to talk some football, just about a half hour, the back end of the program, more interviews. I mean, we have been stockpiling interviews this Mm -hmm. week at the Scouting Combine. Sims was there. I was participating from here. Actually, tomorrow morning's PFT Live is entirely made up of interviews that we have conducted that have yet to even be shown anywhere, so you'll see them tomorrow morning. But at least for now, you get to hear us prattle on about the NFL. And I say hello and good afternoon. Shereen, how's everything in Texas today? It's a beautiful day. Chamber of Commerce Day, Mike. 80 degrees and just perfect weather conditions. I always like this all the time, but then I guess you live in Arizona or Florida, but they are too hot in the summer. Yeah, that's the problem. If it's, like, if it's like this in February and March, then or like yeah. it is in Texas, it's going to be a lot hotter when it's hot everywhere. And we've had some good weather here, too. I think it's going to be – you know, it's winter goes by – pretty quickly and before you like you just kind of hunker down and deal with it and we get the snow and we get some ice and we get some cold it wasn't that bitterly cold this year but then all of a sudden it's march and you know you're still going to get some cold days in march but you know that it's coming and before you know it the leaves are out and the flowers are out and uh, you get to enjoy a few months of warm weather and and uh, being outside a lot and that is coming but until then there's plenty of football the scouting combine still rolling and one of the things that happened today unrelated to the festivities at the scouting combine but indicative of the NFL's broader attitude toward the pandemic and the country's broader attitude toward the pandemic. All COVID protocols per agreement of the NFL and the NFL Players Association, Shireen, have been suspended. No more mandatory testing, no more requirement to wear masks subject to local regulations. But this isn't a surprise because that's the direction it was going. Anyone at the scouting combine could tell you it's like it never even happened. So uh, not a surprise the NFL pulls the plug on all pandemic-related protocols. It does just seem like a formality, Mike, because they had really cut back even before the playoffs on, on what the protocols were. So we didn't see a lot of testing. We didn't see a lot of positive tests when the playoffs started, and that was by design. They just stopped and said, if you're asymptomatic, you're not being tested, we'll just assume you don't have COVID and go uh, about our business. But it's been a two, two long years. You know, you and I talked about the last event before the world shut down, really sporting, big sporting event was the combine two years ago. And it's been two long years since then. So 
Hopefully we've gotten over this. I will say this, Mike. The NFL did an outstanding job getting through two seasons in a pandemic, playing every single game. I think there were eight games rescheduled this year. It ended up with 95% of the players were fully vaccinated and almost 100% of staff and coaches were fully vaccinated. They just did a terrific job, I think, in the two years to get all those games in. It is amazing, and they did have some luck from time to time. And they did have to have the flexibility to change on the fly, and it got surprisingly dicey in December when we had that weekend where three teams were gutted by positive cases as a result of the spread of the Omicron variant to the point where they almost canceled the games. They were going to just cancel the games, but the union took up the charge and pushed the NFL to postpone that Washington-Cleveland game. No, Raiders-Cleveland game. And then it was the Seahawks-Rams game. Uh, was the Washington game postponed that weekend? It was dangerously close to not. We for, how quickly we forget. Mm, but that yeah. was the most. That was the most dangerous that it had gotten from the standpoint of losing games. But yeah. they got through that as well. And then after that, that's when it all started to disappear. That's when they adopted basically "don't ask, don't tell." And even though we had some guys tapping out and saying "I have symptoms" and testing positive between then and the end of the regular season, once the playoffs rolled around. No one was raising their hand and saying, I don't feel well, or I've got congestion, or I've got this, or I've got that. And even by the time we went to the Super Bowl, Shereen, there were some requirements on paper, but I never got the sense that those requirements were being strictly enforced. They were more for show. And some would say that so much of what happened the last two years by way of COVID protocols, was for show. It wasn't about public health. It was about creating the impression that the NFL cared about public health. Well, and Mike, you pointed out what seems like years ago, but it actually was only weeks ago, maybe months ago, you questioned of is there going to be at some point when the NFL just plays through this, just says we're stopping testing and we're just going to go. And I I think we're at that point now. So if COVID comes back, I I think we're going to treat it like the flu. We're going to treat it like other illnesses like that, that if you're sick, stay home, stay out, don't play. Uh, And if you're not, if you're asymptomatic, come on, let's go. But I, I think this is the beginning of that phase that you talked about months ago of, all right, we're treating it like the flu now, and we're just going. And no matter what happens with other strains or anything else, this is how the future's going to be. As the saying goes, the pandemic has become endemic to the population. And I've seen some yeah. epidemiologists suggest that we're really not at that point yet, given the hospitalization rates and the death rates. But, you know, nobody cares. That's the bottom line. We have reached our limit. Yeah. Two years. That's it. That's the statute of limitations on caring about this thing, even if people are going to continue to get sick, very sick, or very dead as a result of this, we have reached the limit of people caring, and we move on with our lives. Whether that's right or wrong, we'll see. Hey, I one of the reasons I didn't go to Indy, I don't want to be one of the guinea pigs in the event that this experiment is not well advised. And we'll find out. We'll see if there's spikes in positives, people getting sick, people getting hospitalized, because it was no different from what I understand in Indianapolis this week than it was in 2020 before the pandemic hit. All right, enough of that talk. And officially, we declare the pandemic over until it isn't. But until further notice, it's done, it's over, and hopefully it won't come back. 
Another issue that comes back every time they have a scouting combine, inevitably a quarterback with hands that may not be the largest. They may be, as we say from time to time in jest or otherwise about Jared Goff, tiny baby hands. Kenny Pickett may or may not have tiny baby hands. Eight and a half inches, smaller than any quarterback currently in the NFL. That means even smaller than Jared Goff's tiny baby hands, Shireen. And we've reached a point where the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, God, here we go again. But, but, you got to be able to hold on to the football. And the smaller your hand, the harder it is to hold the football. And he had 26 fumbles from 2018 through 2021. And I remember Dante Culpepper, six foot five, Adonis, tiny little baby hands, and he fumbled the ball all the time. Yeah, and you look right now in the NFL, Taysom Hill is eight and three quarters. Hand size, that's the smallest in the NFL. Brandon Allen is eight and seven eighths. Joe Burrow is nine, and, and we call him tiny baby hands, and, and his are a half inch bigger than Kenny Pickett. The thing about it is it's not something that you can change, Mike, and I know Kenny Pickett says he's doing hand exercise and all that, but how much can you really grow your hands? I'm thinking probably not very much. By comparison, eight and a half inches, Jeff Blake, Mike Vick, Cliff Kingsbury, all had eight and a half hands when they measured at the combine. Mike Vick had a pretty good career, but it is something that teams are going to have to consider about Kenny Pickett, especially those teams that play in bad weather cities. I think that would probably be a bigger concern for a quarterback with small hands than maybe a team that plays in a dome or plays in warm weather. But it is something if you're in need for a quarterback and you're thinking about Kenny Pickett, you are going to have to think about that, Mike. Dante Culpepper, six foot four, had 9.5-inch hands and, and still does have 9.5-inch hands. I don't think they've grown or shrunk as he's gotten older. Drew Brees, in contrast, was only six foot, but his hands were 10.25 inches. Mm-hmm. And I know that Sim says all the time that Aaron Rodgers has a gigantic catcher's mitt of a hand, and that's one of the reasons why he's so adept with the football. So it, it is relevant. It's not critical but it is relevant, and you hit the nail on the head. If this is a guy who's going to be playing in rain, in wind, in cold, those are situations where it naturally becomes harder to hold on to the football. So the bigger your hand, the more likely it is you're going to secure it, and the smaller your hand, the more likely it is you're going to lose it. So it is relevant information. It's as relevant as how tall a guy is, how heavy a guy is. That's one of the reasons why they do this. They want all of those measurables so when a team decides whether or not to draft a guy, it has all of the relevant information and can make its decision all factors considered, Shereen. Yeah, and by comparison, if people are wondering what the average hand size is, 39 quarterbacks were drafted in the first round. We all think Kenny Pickett's going in the first round. Since 2008, the average hand size for those 39 quarterbacks was 9 and 7 tenths. So quite a bit bigger, obviously, in Kenny Pickett's hands. So if you're a team in need of a quarterback and going to spend that first-round pick on Kenny Pickett or thinking about it, you do have to consider that and take that into consideration of, of how he's going to perform where you play and behind your offensive line. I'll say this. Joe Burrow has small hands. He's done a good job with as many sacks as he took holding on to the football. Um, 9.375 inches is the hand size of Jameis Winston, and he's relevant because uh, he's in the news <laughs> as he recovers from an ACL. We've seen him this week running on a treadmill, although it wasn't high-intensity sprinting. It was about the kind of pace I would 
have on a treadmill without recovering from a torn ACL. We saw different videos of him sitting on a medicine ball, twisting around, doing all the things that he's trying to get himself ready. We could see the big, that big scar on his knee from the ACL surgery. Mickey Loomis, GM of the Saints, told reporters today that Jameis Winston is an option for us. We hope we're an option for him. That ACL tear happened week eight of last year, and you know, as a practical matter, Shereen, here we are less than two weeks away from the start of free agency. No one is going to give him a gigantic contract. No one is going to rush to get him until he is cleared and ready to go. Bottom line. So there is a benefit to the Saints in that they don't have to worry about someone snagging him. And the fact there's so much continuity on the coaching staff, even with Sean Payton gone. Pete Carmichael still there as the offensive coordinator. That makes it easier for Jameis Winston to come back and they've got Taysom Hill and they've got Ian Book and maybe they bring back Trevor Simeon but you could easily bring back Jameis Winston and I think he just has to accept the fact that it's another one-year deal and then we we see what happens with Jameis Winston does he play this year does he play well this year does he set himself up for a big contract somewhere else in 2023 He's still a guy who has plenty of years left in the NFL because we see quarterbacks play deeper and deeper into their 30s and beyond. So it may just be another one-year temporary situation in New Orleans as he tries to reestablish himself and come next year at this time. Maybe he's somebody who's ready to command huge money on the open market. Yeah, the last two contracts he's had in New Orleans, both were one-year deals, Mike, and he just hasn't played very much since that 2019 season in Tampa when he joined the 30-30 club. You know, he backed up Drew Brees the, the one year and wasn't even the primary backup, but played four games that year and, and didn't start any, obviously, and only threw 11 passes and then came back this year and played seven games before uh, going out. So, you know, I think he needs, since he's going to miss the offseason, I talked to a rehab specialist of NFL players last night, and he said probably about seven months. So he's pointing toward week one being back. Probably won't do much leading up to that. Probably won't do much in training camp. So if you're not going to do very much in training camp and and you're going to a new place, it's going to be awfully difficult to go in and step in and start. But if you go to a place where you've been, a New Orleans or a Tampa, I know Bruce Arians said we're not totally against a reunion with Jameis Winston. I don't think he goes back there. I think New Orleans is still his best bet. But I do think he needs to go to either New Orleans or Tampa where he knows mostly the receiving core, where he knows the offense or most of the offense, where he'll be familiar with all that stuff when he does come back because it's going to be really late when he comes back. And I'm not sure you can, you can put your eggs in that basket to say Jameis Winston is going to be our week one quarterback because you don't know right now if he's going to be able to play week one. And to anyone out there who is watching on Peacock or listening on Sirius XM 85 or checking out YouTube, podcasts, whatever, first of all, thank you for doing that. Second of all, ask yourself this question. How old is Jameis Winston? Shireen, how old is Jameis Winston? I did that. Well, I did that, and I was stunned. He's 28. I'm like, and he just turned 28. I'm like, no possible way. It seems like he's 35. That's right. It feels like he's been around forever. But he was drafted in 2015. He turned 28 on January 6th. So uh, he's got plenty of football left. He's got 10 more years minimum if he wants them. So, uh, yeah, and, and, and that's why I'm even more convinced for him for this year, he needs to be in a spot where he's comfortable, where he can get up to speed quickly, where he can establish himself, and then see what happens next year. He made great money as the first overall pick, not the kind of money that they made 
five years before he was the first overall pick. 2010 was the last of the huge windfalls. Not that it's a windfall. They earn it all. But it's the last of the huge contracts for the first overall picks. It's reduced now in comparison to what it would have been or what it would be if they didn't have that in place. But still, he's made a lot of money. He's not making nearly as much now. And he'll probably make as much or less than he made last year as he reestablishes himself. That's one of the sad realities and cruel realities of tearing an ACL, especially in the middle of the season. But uh, he's still got a lot left in the tank, and we'll find out this year. And we could be talking next year about him on some team's wish list. And I know, there, you know, there could be other teams that decide to give it a whirl. I, 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 I'm sorry to keep doing this to Mason Rudolph, but, there, you know, there are guys whose names come up, and it's like, hell yeah, I'd rather have him than Mason Rudolph. I'd rather have Jameis Winston. I'd rather have Carson Wentz. I'd rather have Jimmy G. I'd rather have Tua for crying out loud than Mason Rudolph. So um, th- th- there's going to be some interest, and I think that's why Loomis said what he said today. We, we uh, think he's an option for us, and we hope we're an option for him because maybe somebody else snatches him before he can – sign with the Saints and join the quarterback depth chart there, Shereen. Well, some of the things he's done, Mike, passing for 5,000 yards, doing some of those things that he's done. I mean, he was 5-2 and two as the Saints starter before he got hurt this year. I would have loved to have seen him finish this year and to see what his market would have been. I think the Saints probably would have made the postseason instead of starting Ian Book for a game and Trevor Simeon for a few games and Taysom Hill. If he had Jameis Winston all season – I would be willing to bet the Saints would have made the postseason and probably been a factor in the postseason. So, of course, they want him back, and they're probably the front runners to get him back. But you're right. If you're looking at some of these other teams, to me, he's a better starter with what he's done in his career than, than a lot of these other guys who teams are penciling in as the starters. Frankly, I think he's better than Blaine Gabbert, who the Bucks have penciled in as their starter. I don't think he starts a season for the Bucks, but I'm just saying, I would rather have Jameis Winston than I would Blaine Gabbert. So to me, he's in that, that tier where you're looking at him as an option if you need a quarterback. And we know the draft doesn't present a lot of great options for quarterbacks. And if, let's say, Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers don't get traded, there's not a great market out there, Mike, for veteran quarterbacks. Maybe Case Keenum gets cut. Are you going with Teddy Bridgewater? I mean, to me, there's just not a lot of great options. And he would be one that you could get as a free agent who might be your best option. Speaking of Bridgewater, remember two years ago, Bruce Arians said that it was Brady or Bridgewater. Those were the two quarterbacks they were looking at when they moved on from Jameis Winston. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bridgewater resurfaces in Tampa, and I won't be surprised if Winston stays in New Orleans. But you're right. If Rodgers stays put, if Russell Wilson stays put, if the Deshaun Watson situation continues to linger and no one is willing to step up and give the Texans what they want, Jameis Winston becomes an option, even if you know going in it's going to be several more months until he is cleared to participate in practice and eventually in games. Baker Mayfield had off-season shoulder surgery. He's yet to be cleared to participate. They are awaiting that, but they aren't awaiting anointing him as the starter again for 2022. The Browns reportedly met with Baker Mayfield's representatives and reinforced plans to start him this coming season. To me, him starting is a far different question from him finishing because He's entering the last year of his contract. And if he struggles or if he gets banged up, they'll move on to somebody else. Whoever they bring in, if they keep Keenum, it'll be him. If they bring in somebody else, and I've seen some suggestion of Marcus Mariota, 
whoever it is, at some point, if you decide between September and December that Baker's not your guy next year, you do roll the dice with the other guy. So I don't doubt the fact that he starts the season as the starter. I just wonder how long he holds that job. And the Browns have decided to invest that $18.8 million. That decision was made last year, but they're not going to move on from him. Frankly, I don't know who they would find to trade for him at this point, although 18.8 isn't all that much money, grand scheme of things, when you consider the salary cap. But they've decided to love the one they're with and see what happens. And if a change is going to be made, it's either going to be made during the season with the guy they bring in or Case Keenum, or it's going to be made after the season when they move on from Baker Mayfield once and for all. Yeah, they have to make a decision on Case Keenum. He has a million-dollar bonus due at the end of this month, and they'll have to make that decision before that. He's got an eight million, over $8 million cap hit, and there, there is some sense that the Browns may try to get what they consider an upgrade, whether it's a Marcus Mariota or a Mitchell Trubisky to come in to kind of be the, the backup sort of guy to Baker Mayfield. As you said, if Baker Mayfield falters, then that guy goes in and plays. Now, if I have a, another option, if I'm a Marcus Mariota or Mitchell Trubisky and I have another option to go elsewhere to for sure be the starter, I'm taking that rather than going to the Browns. But if the Browns can't get either one of those guys, they do have Case Keenum and they'll just roll with him with that $8 million cap hit or, hit or try to rework that contract. But – You've said it before, Mike, and I agree with you. I, I think Case Keenum is a great backup in this league, and I would have no problem with him as my starter, whether Baker Mayfield gets hurt or whether he falters or whatever the case may be. I would have no problem putting Case Keenum in and say, all right, let's go win some games because we've seen it before. He did it in Minnesota. He's done it in Cleveland. We know he can go win games for you, and I, I'm, I would be confident in him if he's my backup quarterback to Baker Mayfield that I could put Baker Mayfield on the short rope and go, you better get it done early or Case Keenum's our quarterback. Well, I still don't think there's a long-term future for Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, but he could prove me wrong this Agreed. year. The Browns are in this cycle where when the expectations are high, they fail to meet them. When the expectations are low, they have a surprisingly good season. So under that very complicated and analytics-driven formula, they're due to have a pretty good season. Tom Brady may or may not have a season. Hey, you know, I know that there are plenty of stories that the media can be blamed for fueling just because we like talking about them or we know it's good for business because people like to read about them. The Tom Brady unretirement angle is completely, totally, and exclusively on him. Here's Tom Brady from yesterday talking to Fred Couples on his Sirius XM radio show about Brady's football future. And we're going to end it with Tom just, just telling uh... – Maybe you can tell us where you're going. Is that legal? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I wish I, wish I had a, a, a clear vision of what the future holds. But I think for me, there's, you know, a lot of, um, there's a lot of great things ahead and a lot of great opportunities. I know I said right after football season, I was looking forward to spending time with my family. And I've done that the last five weeks. And I know there'll be a lot more of that, too. So, um you know, I like staying busy, that's for sure. I played a little bit of golf, and I'm actually going to see my parents tonight, which will be a real highlight for me on their turf. I'll be sleeping in the same bed I slept at when I was a kid. I don't think my mom knows I'm coming home yet. So it's just between my dad and I is a little bit of a surprise. So looking forward to that, looking forward to some golf uh, 
in the next few days and some more family time, and then we'll figure out where we go from there. You know, I had seen the transcript of the answer, but the way that the question was presented when Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times posted it yesterday, it wasn't as loaded as the actual question. When Fred Couples throws on the, is that legal, that makes the question clearly imply football future. It isn't, hey, what are you going to do generally? It's, what are you doing for your football career? And he didn't say, well, Fred, I'm retired. He didn't say, oh, Fred, I'm not playing this year. Tom Brady's coming back, folks. He retired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He didn't retire from the NFL. And what we've been witnessing in recent weeks is the beginning of what could be a clumsy effort by Brady to get out of Tampa Bay. Now, the clumsiness is coming from Bruce Arians, who's trying to hold him to Tampa Bay. But I think when push comes to shove, Brady makes a call to somebody named Glazer and has the conversation about, hey, you know that extension I signed last year? You know I did that for cap reasons only. I know I'm under contract this year, but I originally signed a two-year deal, and you got both years. Please let me go. That's going to be the gist of the conversation. I think he believes he shouldn't have to do it. I think he's above that. He probably thinks he's above that. And that's why I think it's just weird to hear Bruce Arians talking about Tom Brady like any other player. But, Shereen, this is all pointing toward Brady playing this year and not for the Buccaneers. Well, it sure does, Mike. And for Bruce Arians to keep saying, well, Brady's slammed the door shut, he hasn't slammed the door shut. And I don't care what he's saying privately. It's obvious he hasn't slammed the door shut because he's leaving it wide open or at least partially open, I would say it's wide open with the comments that he's made. Never say never, and now we have this, and we'll see. He did an interview a couple days ago and said, we'll see what my future is. So all of those things play into Tom Brady coming back, and I just don't think the bug is out of him. I don't think it ever will be out of him, but I don't think now is the time for Tom Brady to retire, Mike. I do think he's coming back, and I do think he plays for another team, and I know you think it's going to be the 49ers. That's why I was so stunned when the talk of retirement came up because he had said multiple times through the 2021 season, he's playing through 22. He said for years, he's playing through the year in which he turns 45. He walked away with one year left on the table. Now we know he doesn't want a farewell tour and maybe he signs a two year contract with whoever he joins and tries to say, Hey, I'm, I'm in for more than a year, but this is not about retirement. This is about retirement from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And ultimately we know why. That Instagram post that announced his retirement only mentioned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It wasn't a diss of the Patriots. It was an effort to make it clear. And now we understand, Shireen. He was saying goodbye to the Bucs. And the Bucs may not be ready to say goodbye to him, but he's ready to say goodbye to the Bucs. Well, he is, Mike, and he's earned the right to go where he wants to go. And if he goes into the Bucs and says, I want to be cut, let me go my way, or I want to be traded to this team, then the Bucks have to do that. He's delivered a Super Bowl title to them. All right, we've got some interviews coming up, which means we shut up and we disappear, but you will see interviews with Evan Neal, Matt Eberflus, and Ryan Poles of the Bears, and also George Pickens. That is coming up over the balance of this program. And remember, tomorrow it's all interviews on PFT Live, but we will be back 5 o'clock Eastern tomorrow for PFTPM. So enjoy some of the conversations from the Combine, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic 
in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Our coverage of the Scouting Combine continues from Indianapolis now. And joining us, former Alabama offensive lineman and another guy who is bigger than Chris Sims, which is always a delight to me. It is Evan Neal. Evan, welcome to the program. How are you, pal? I'm doing good, man. Great to be here. They're offensive linemen, man. Their their natural intuition is protect the quarterback. So he's not going to beat me up or do anything. If anything, when we see you, we're going to beat you up. All right, just so you know, we're coming after you. <laughs> Watch out, man. I, I'm just trying yeah. to. But Chris, I'm trying to think of where those offensive linemen were the day that you got your spleen knocked out. I so maybe that. Well, isn't I didn't have. I didn't. All. Maybe once they right. get to know <laughs> you. <That's> a, <laughs> you're right. That's it. Or maybe if I had more Evan Neal's, I'd still have a spleen. You know, maybe that's man, what maybe I needed. So, maybe so. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. You the Evan, best. six foot seven, six foot seven. What age were you when you really started to grow and realize I'm going to be a pretty big person? Man, right out of the womb. Whenever I was born, I was 11 pounds, 22 and a half inches. And my family likes to joke with me and say, you know, I drove home from the hospital sitting up in my car seat. <laughs> so I've always been a big guy, man. Uh, in, the eighth, in the eighth grade, I was, yeah, in the eighth grade, I was, man, six, six, shoot. 370. So I've always just been a big man for sure. You were 370 yes. in eighth grade? Yeah. So you didn't play eighth grade football? I did. You did? Our, our youth football league. Your youth football. I mean, what parent would let you touch their kid at eighth grade at that size? I'd have been like, I'm pulling my kid out of the league today. He's not playing <laughs> against this guy. My kid's 140 pounds in eighth grade. <laughs> What's funny about that, man, uh, in, the, in the rec league that I played in, um, they took off the weight limit for the guys that can run the ball. Gotcha. My coach let me run the ball, you know, and uh, basically I was dragging those guys to the touchdown and parents went ballistic. <laughs> they hated it and they tried to kick me out of the league. So, yeah. I would think so. <laughs> I would. <laughs> hey, you've played both left tackle and right tackle, uh, and we hear guys explain from time to time how different it is because most people think, all oh, tackle's tackle, but what are the differences depending upon what side of the line you're on? Um, there's different technique, you know, basically you have to just the same thing, just on the other side. That's the way I look at it. Um, the players are the same, the footwork's the same. You just really, the body mechanics of it all, you know, uh, opposed to kicking with your left foot, you're kicking with your right foot opposed to taking your first step with your inside foot. You may take your first step with your outside foot. So it's really pretty much the same thing in my opinion. You know, you may be, you may go against the best pass rushers on the left side because most guys line up their best pass rushers on that side. But other than that, for me, you know, for our process, it tackles pretty much tackle. Yeah, you don't you, – you favor one, though? I mean, you know, because, like, I mean, in basketball, I'm a lefty. I want to drive to the left. I mean, is there, and I know you're going to be able to pull off either one, but is there one where you feel more comfortable kicking with the right or the left either way? Yeah, I feel pretty comfortable at both, but for you sure. Do. I definitely like uh, left tackle, definitely. You, you like left tackle better. Yeah, and I feel like the fact that I moved around in Alabama so much, I never really had a chance to really just settle in on a spot for sure. So right. I'd be excited to do that on the next level. Yeah, what about now, like, size-wise? Like, as, mm -hmm. as far as, what, what did you play at last year? You, know, you told me before you came on here, you're right around 337 right now, you said? Mm -hmm. Where was Is it a conscious effort right now to be a little thinner and quicker for the combine? Is this going to do going forward? Mm -hmm. what, what do you want to play at? Um, I like this weight for sure. Yeah. So 335 range to 340 range. I wouldn't say it's a conscious effort, man. I'm just a, I'm just a big guy. Yeah. You know, uh, I've been training hard. I've been eating right. You know, and the weight kind of just 
came off this past season. I played around 340 to 335. Okay, okay, you did. I mean, yeah. yeah. All right, like Bama, all the damn offensive linemen. I mean, you know, all the guys in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, you know, talk, talk about the culture there and just what's expected from Nick Saban, offensive line. I mean, everybody knows when Alabama comes to town, it's five NFL offensive linemen. Just talk about what it's being like being a part of a program like that. Up front, man, uh, in the trenches at Alabama, it's all about toughness, man, and, and durability for sure. I definitely can say that um, all of those guys, a whole bunch of guys, Alabama guys, they're doing great in the league. I'm proud of all those guys, and you know, I'm just excited to be the next one. Were you ever worried, like, damn, there's so many damn good guys here. I might not get on the damn field here quick enough, or, you know, was there ever a worry? I, n- I never really worried about that too much, man. Yeah, I, yeah, I kind of just wanted to go in and do my best to just find a spot anywhere on the offensive line, yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Every time we have an Alabama guy on the show, every time we ask about Nick Saban, we're always looking for good Saban stories. Give us your best one, Evan. Uh, well, Coach Saban's pretty much the same guy all the time. Um, oh, he's got a good one, but he's, he's scared to tell it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the look I just got, Mike. It's okay. Yeah, I got yeah, a you don't guy for Do I tell this? You don't work for him anymore. <laughs> but he's still going to see this, and I still got to go back for pro day. But, uh, <laughs> for sure. But um, Coach Saban is a great guy, man. Great coach. You know, track record speaks for us up, man. Greatest of all time. Right. Yeah. All right. Next year when he's a rookie, we'll get the real answer out of him. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That wasn't quite the Quentin Williams stop in the middle of the sentence and stop talking like he did a few years ago when he was talking about Kyle. Kyler Murray. Murray. That's the power of Nick Saban. <laughs> um, you're the, currently the betting favorite to be the first overall pick, Evan. H- how big of a deal would that be for you if you're the first name called? It would be extremely special. I feel like every guy has dreams of being the number one pick at some point, you know, and for that would be me and that to be an offensive lineman, you know, that would be extremely special for sure. I'd be really proud of that. All right, I'll put you on the spot here, okay? Don't give me, don't give me that Nick Saban crap answer you just gave me, all right? I want to know, one – who was the, the guy at Alabama that you just, through your years there, you just went, and he was unbelievable. He's the freakiest guy, wherever it is, whoever it is on the team. And then I want to know the guy just that you played against in college where you went, whoa, he was phenomenal as well. Like, give, give me two guys. I got you. So, yeah. A guy that I actually went up against, or can it be an offensive guy in practice or anybody in practice? Yeah, you can go. As far as Bama guys, you can go anybody you want in Bama guys. And then I just want another guy on another team. Well, you had a lot of guys at Bama. I man. know you I, did. I That's be, why I, I want to hear it. I can't really – shoot, I can give you more than one name. I've seen a lot of guys do a lot of freaky stuff. Yeah. Like Najee, the way he can just hurdle a guy effortlessly. Right. Uh, Jalen Waddle, Henry Rose, all of those guys. I know. But for sure, man, the best pass rush I've ever been against is Will Anderson. You know, he, he's, special, he's a special talent and, you know, we definitely got each other better every day. I practice for sure. Yeah, well, yeah. Will's a damn good player. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, those get intense. You getting like you, get, you never get any fights, or is like saving you guys pretty good as far as like never crossing that line? Yeah, coach really don't like fights in practice like yeah. that. You know, we do a lot of fighting in between the whistle for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I figured. Who's the guy that you can't wait to take on at the next level? Any and everybody, you know, it's great talent everywhere in the NFL, you know, and I'm just excited to be a part of it and uh, test my steel up against the best competition in the world. Is there one guy you have in mind, regardless of position, quarterback, receiver, anyone, that you're just going to, like, freak out when you see that guy on the field in uniform, either on your team or on the other team? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not really a guy that gets starstruck like that, uh, but... You know, like I said, I'm just excited to play with all of those guys. Being in the same room with some of the greats, I mean, maybe 
I guess I could say like a guy like Tom Brady, but he retired. Yeah, you know, but other than that, maybe. He no, he didn't. Be back. no, he didn't. Yeah, no, he didn't. Yeah, he no, never knew. Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right about that. All right, we got a video of you. Uh-huh. All right, the box jump video. Yeah. Okay, I I haven't seen this yet. What what are you a ballerina? What the hell are you doing here? Doing damn <laughs> scissor kicks on a box? So explain this drill to me. Um, so it kind of started off as like a progression. Uh, my sophomore year, um, I jumped a 36 inch box, and I kind of went from there. Um, that's a 48 inch box, so I made the increase. But damn, yeah, Dr. Ray and Coach Blue are great strength coaches, and you know, I definitely give credit to them for me, me being able to do something like that. that, sure. that I've never seen that. You know, I mean, I, I really have. What's what's the? I mean, I know you're trying to jump in person. What's the point? The point of splitting the legs and doing that aspect of it. I'm not sure you got to ask Doc about that, but I'm. <laughs> you but just I, did it because they said it. Yeah. Is Doc the crazy guy on the sideline that yells everybody, or who 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 who's the the crazy uh, get back coach on Alabama? You oh, have one or my? Uh, that that would have been Cochran. You thinking about Cochran? I think that's who yeah, I'm thinking but about. He's not there anymore. He's not there anymore. All right, yeah. my bad on that one. All right, so NFL wise though, I mean, you know, you're going into a different animal here as far as right. what you got to do. What's what's the area you look at? Like I got to improve this. You know, hey, I was good in college, but. I know I'm going against a, a different beast now. Mm-hmm. What, what's that area you look at? Uh, I can say my overall just knowledge of the game. Yeah. And also, uh, just, I can have better body control uh, in the run game at times. You know, my base can get, you know, closed together. and like narrow. T- yeah, narrow. And I tend to fall off blocks at times for You'll sure. Lean on them a little bit. Yeah, so definitely having a better body control, you know, just getting my feet on the ground and really getting hooked up with guys. Right, right. Yeah, I, that seems to be one of the bigger adjustments for big guys like yourself. Because mm-hmm. I guess you've probably been able to get away with just leaning on guys for the most part. And now you're <laughs> like, damn, wait, i got to actually move my legs here. Some of these guys are almost as big as me. Right, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, all right. Um, we're looking forward to watching you, man. Thank you, man. Kick some butt, all right? Yeah, thank Evan, you, thank hey, you for having me. Yeah, congratulations uh, on all your success, and here's to being the first overall pick in the draft. Good luck moving forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. Buy me a gift if you're the first pick, okay? Yeah, hey, I got you. Right. <laughs> Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. All right, very happy to be joined now by a couple of guys who have taken over one of the great franchises in NFL history, Bears general manager Ryan Poles, Bears head coach Matt Eberflus. You've taken over our desk. You look better on our desk than Sims and I do. (laughs) Kicked him out of here. He needed a Hey, uh, uh, Ryan, let me start with you, since you got the job first, mm-hmm. even if it was only by a few days. How well did you two know each other before you started working together in Chicago? Yeah, we had bumped into each other and, and shared some phone calls just, uh, you know, in terms of just networking, getting to know different people. And uh, you could tell just with our conversations, you know, from the past that we had some commonalities and, and we saw things the same way. And Matt, let me ask ask it this way, since you were the second guy in. I'm a big believer that the relationship between GM and coach is paramount. There's going to be adversity. You need to be able to work through it together and not, not be tempted to blame each other for whatever is going wrong. From your view, how important is that relationship, and how do you 
plan to help craft the right relationship with Ryan so when the games begin in September, you'll be able to keep a tight bond? Yeah, the relationship, I think, is very important. I think it starts with emotional stability. You know, you got to have somebody that can think clear, uh, can think, you know, quickly uh, at times, but also, you know, go through the process of, of getting everybody involved. Um, and that, that's what Ryan brings, you know, bringing coaches and scouts together. I think that's a real important piece. Um, and I think Ryan and I uh, share the same views that way. And, Matt, I'll stay with you on this. During your time with the Colts, working with Frank Reich, what's the – What's the most important thing you learned from him to prepare you for the job you now have? Yeah, his leadership was outstanding in, in terms of him letting guys do their jobs, uh, get, giving input when, when he thinks it's appropriate, and uh, you know, really working with every position coach. Um, he would go around to every position coach and talk to them in their offices, and I thought that was a great touch, and he learned a lot from what was going on in each room um, that way. So I learned a lot from him. Um, what, what an outstanding leader. And Ryan, from your perspective, you were in demand. The Vikings were interested. I've heard great things about you. You were very well uh, touted around the league. What drew you to Chicago when you did have other opportunities out there? Yeah, I mean, my past, obviously, it's a unique situation that the first team I had the opportunity to play with was Chicago. Um, it's an unbelievable city, but then the rich tradition. The rich tradition stands out, and all we want to do is live up to that and get our teams to that standard and, and add to that tradition. And tell me what, what spoke to you as it relates to Matt being the right coach right now for this team. Yeah, leadership. Hands down, it was leadership. He has a presence to him. Um, I always talk about you know, being demanding, you know, having discipline, setting a standard, but also the emotional intelligence in terms of uh, having a relationship with players because I think that's important. They need to know that you're invested in them for them to give it up for you and for the team. So he has that blend, and I think it's rare, it's unique, in, and that really uh, stood out to me through that process. And, Matt, I'm going to raise a question for you that I presented last year to Brandon Staley when he became the head coach of the Chargers as a defensive coordinator becoming the head coach of a team with a young quarterback who has one year in. I've said from time to time in a situation like that, the relationship between whoever's running the offense and the quarterback is critical, and if the team does well, the coordinator may become a head coach somewhere else. How do you respond to that possibility that if everything goes well, you may have a revolving door at that critical position of offensive coordinator given that you're a defensive guy? Yeah, so I think we put our system in. And, you know, we're going to uh, build it around, you know, Justin, but also around the skill set of our of our other players. And I think what you do is you just – it's a Chicago Bears offense. And if, you know, Luke uh, gets an opportunity in a year or two uh, to go and we have great success, he's certainly going to have that opportunity. You would like to be able to promote from within um, if possible. And then also – What's nice about our system is that it's used throughout the league. I mean, our, our system, our family of system, I should say, is, you know, a third of the league's using it. So there's a lot of quality coaches out there that could step in, use the vernacular that we're going to use, and uh, take it from there. But uh, it's going to be the Chicago Bears offense. Where do you think the ceiling is, Matt, for your quarterback, Justin Fields? 
Yeah, I think we're in process of that right now. Um, you know, to sit there and watch tape of just of his rookie year to say uh, to answer that question fully. I don't think we can do that right now. I think we really have to get our hands on him, start working with him, um, understand him in the meetings, understand how he learns, understand the, you know how he processes the game, and then start, just start teaching our system from there. And I think once we get through training camp, I think we'll have a pretty good idea. Ryan, what's your number one priority in this offseason phase that we're in, scouting combine, free agency, and draft? What's your number one thing you're looking to address for the team? Yeah, it's bringing in the like-minded guys into this organization, guys that reflect what we talk about in terms of discipline, in terms of playing hard, practicing hard, um, playing in, with intelligence. Um, so it's really grabbing that culture and bringing a, a bunch of guys in that reflect that because I, I truly believe if you can add those pieces that believe that, you can create your core and have a strong culture um, and we can just keep stacking from there. Matt, there's so much talk in the NFL now about analytics, and I think there's some misconceptions about how they're used, when they're used, why they're used. But give me an idea of what your approach will be when we hear about the chart, the chart saying go for it on fourth down, the chart saying go for two in this situation or go for it on fourth and go, whatever the case may be. How much will you be driven by predetermined formulas versus the decisions that you make in the moment considering all other factors that may be going on? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think analytics, you know, fuels your instincts uh, to make a statement to start out. But uh, really, I think it changes by game. I mean, you know, what what happens in the flow of a game? Um, who are you playing? How's your defense playing that that day? How's your offense playing that day? And I think you make the the decision based on what you help helps your team win the football game at that time. So I don't think that. You know, if it's a dark green, uh, you know, at this particular situation that you always say, yes, we're doing it. I think you got to use your, your instincts and use some common sense, too. Last question, and I want both of you to chime in on this one. How badly are you hoping that Aaron Rodgers leaves the Packers? <laughs> I'll let you answer that one first. <laughs> well, we, as we know, Aaron's a great player. And, uh, you know, they got a good football team, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I, I well, guys, echo that. Go ahead. Um, go yeah. ahead. Nope. Go ahead. Well, hey, Ryan, uh, Matt, we appreciate your time. We know it's a busy time for both of you. We wish you all the best. Congratulations on getting these jobs. Chicago's a special place, and it's a special fan base, and they're crying out for a contender. We wish you all the best as you try to put one together for the Bears, and we look forward to talking to you again down the road. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Welcome back. PFT Live at the Scouting Combine. Joining us now, a guy who eventually will be getting a nice big college football national championship ring and has hands on the trophy as yeah. a member of the Georgia Bulldogs, George Pickens, wide receiver. George, welcome. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Uh, it's an honor to be here, to be honest. Uh, I just take one day at a time, and I've been uh, having fun meeting some of the some of the other guys. 
Hey, George, it's not an honor for you. It's an honor for the NFL that talented players like you are there. You're doing them the honor because they need to figure out who the best players are, and they know you're one of them, so they're bringing you in. The honor is on them. I appreciate the fact that you're honored, and we're honored to have you. But you, you're there because you're special, and you're the best in the world at what you do. Don't ever forget that. You're there to help them. They're yes, not sir. there to help you. Anyway, that's one of my soapbox George, issues. it is an honor but, uh, to be here. It's an honor to be poked okay. and prodded. It's an honor to get up at 445 in the morning so you can go pee in a cup. That's a real honor. Anyway, uh, George, other than that, how's the experience been so far? Man, it's been good. Uh, I mean, everything's been going really smooth. Uh, the interviews and stuff like that, meeting new teams. Uh, like I said, getting connected with the guys. You know, uh, we w with us winning the Natty this year, all the eyes were on Georgia. So all the other guys, you know, want to talk about how was Bama and how, and how was the game. And uh, that I just want to speak on that game just a little bit. That game was amazing. It was in this. It was, it was in Indy where we are right now. So uh, when I come here, I just get old vibes again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. All the good memories, all yeah. the parties after the game, all the stuff. It was all good here at Indy. All right. So, wait. You went to Hoover High School, right? The yeah. famous Hoover, Alabama. What is wrong with you and your brain? How did you not end up at Alabama or Auburn? Man, uh, it's really just was a – I was committed to Auburn, uh, actually, at first. I was committed to Auburn before I uh, went to Georgia. And uh, Kirby had the last home visit. And uh, – that he was, sold you. It was the last impression I had, and uh, when, when I had that impression, I just I fell in love with the school when I first got to Georgia, and uh, it felt like I was supposed to be there when I arrived. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but anything that he said that like you were like, oh, damn, that put it over the edge. Damn, I'm going to Georgia. No, nah, it was really just his demeanor. Right. So, like, really how he carried himself. I was like, okay, yeah. I, I understand. I, it's like it's like I was already at Georgia, but we we were in the house. Uniforms are cooler, so I give you a lot of props there oh, for yeah. sure. Uh, you look good at number one too. Appreciate right, you. Try to go for number one in the NFL? Uh, yeah, that'd be a, uh, that's one of the numbers, of course, I would want, but I wouldn't mind uh, switching it up. Okay, but here's one thing I wanted to ask you, just seriously. Like, coming out, I'm interested, you coming out. Yeah. Played four games this year. Like, caught the big touchdown pass here, good vibes, 52-yard yeah. bomb to, yeah. you know, up your butt Alabama. But, did, was how hard was the decision? You know, because uh, you go another year, you put up big stats, you know, you improve your stock. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was a real hard decision, because, uh, me coming out playing those four games that I played, I just felt like I uh, I improved a lot. And then my the 2019 campaign and the 2020 COVID campaign, I felt like was two big seasons that people can go back and look on, including the four games of 2021. Right. But uh, man, if I was to come back, it's also a lot of risk of the same. I get hurt you again. See the same thing. Right. So like. I just wanted to make the smartest decision and the most business decision. Yeah, I think you made the right, and Mike would agree. We always support that. Yeah. Go get it. Well, and, George, when we go back to last year, you tear the ACL in spring practice. Walk us through the reaction, the mindset, the resolve that you surely showed in order to get back on the field and play last year. Yeah, man. Uh, my initial reaction, you know, when I first got hurt was like, you know, that, that, that moment where you're like, all right, so what's going to happen now? And that was just the uh, biggest question I had in my head at first when I, when I first got injured. But uh, when, I, when, I, when I realized that I had the surgery and I was on the, on the, on the post-op part of, it, of recovering, I knew that I could come back pretty quickly depending on how hard I put in the work. And when I, uh, I put in the work very hard, man, I mean, when I got back on the field, cone drills, uh, get my speed back right, uh, just little things to improve my game that I was already doing. But when I came back, it just felt even better. And 
when did you know that you were 100 percent and you were going to be as good as you've ever been? When did that when did that flip for you from the injury until the moment you're back on the field? Uh, yeah, I'll probably say November 17th. And that was like uh, one of the practices I got cleared. That's when I pretty knew I, pre- I was pretty sure that I was going to be back pretty soon because my cutting started get back right. My speed was back right. My releases. I was going against DBs, you know, react reacting releases is really a big thing. I'm coming off, off of ACL and then breaking down the routes. So I pretty I knew at that moment in time that I would probably be back sooner than I thought I would be. Six, three, one ninety doing everything tomorrow. Um, I'm going to do the 40 yard and then I'm going to do the uh, vertical. I knew you were going to do the 40. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. You want to show your ass yeah. there, huh? All right. So give me an idea because I, I, you, you can run by just about anybody, it looks yeah. like. Yeah. And uh, I just really want to showcase my speed. I mean, I catch a lot of deep balls. Right. So I, I really thought people were going to catch on. Like, he's got to be fast somehow. So he's getting behind the Everybody. defender. Yeah. But uh, some people are still lost in the water. So I just want to prove to people that. What, what, I are, can we, re- what are we thinking? Like, uh, right now, I'm probably thinking like a 4 4 4 3. Yeah, 4 yeah. 4 3. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Get to 4 3. Yeah, that's, that's the one. That's you, one of the You're going to open up eyes. That's, yeah. the, that's the one. But even if you run 4 4, your tape speaks for itself. Um, okay, other thing. Receivers in the NFL that you look at. I mean, you, you come from a school that's had some good receivers. Yeah. The SEC's crazy in general. I mean, you guys dominate college football. Yeah. But who's the guys you look at to, like, model your game or you idolize? Yeah, uh, mainly, man, I, I'll probably say Devontae Adams. And I know that's kind of – he's the best in the league right now, so that's that would be, like, an easy answer. Yeah, that's but okay. I, but I've been watching him since he was at Fresno State. So, yeah. like – and he's just—he's not the fastest guy, but he knows how to get open. And uh, I also watch a lot of Cooper Cup. Yeah. And Cooper is just—he's smarter than everybody. Right. So like, man, that's really one of the things I wanted to enhance because I used to watch a lot of Julio. I used to watch a lot of Calvin Johnson. I was, you know, six three one ninety. Like freak you said, of nature yeah, guys. the yeah. freak of nature guys. Right. So like, and when I found out that 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 path was kind of ending. For those guys, I'm trying to lock in on some new receivers, and right. those are the guys, those are the guys I kind of picked up on. Yeah, Coop, Coop and uh, Vontae. Yeah, that's good ones. Yeah. So you left Alabama for Georgia. You get yourself a championship. You come back to Alabama. What's the reception when you return to Alabama after being part of the team that beat Alabama for the title? And you know what's crazy, man? I haven't even been back yet. So like, so <laughs> that's probably I, can, smart. I can only imagine. That's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I can only imagine what's what's the reaction gonna be. I haven't even been back yet, man. That's uh, of course I had that same thought, just like you were saying after we won here at this in this same facility. Uh, but I haven't even returned yet, man. When I return. I'll probably come back on here. <laughs> <laughs> but wait till, wait till you get your ring. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then go back. And then if somebody says something, they just be like, yeah, suck it. Get off <laughs> me. <laughs> well, hey, hey, George, uh, we wish you all the best as you try to get a ring at the NFL level. First, you got to get a team. The draft is coming. We look forward to seeing where you land and how things go for you. Thanks for some of your time, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you, man. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.